Um, but the, Habakkuk chapter 3, and uh, we're going to continue our study. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 8. Now, I'm going to cover a little ground this morning, um, and I want to remind you tonight, okay? Tonight we'll be in verse 17, 18, and 19, the last three verses of this book. And I promise you, of all the verses in the book of Habakkuk, uh, those are my favorite. And so I'm uh, looking forward to that tonight. Um, but I want you to look at this passage this morning. Now let me just remind you real quick before we read our text, okay? Um, especially for those that may be visiting this morning. Uh, where we're at in the book of Habakkuk, okay? Habakkuk came to God in chapter 1. He says, God, he says, do you not notice Judah's sin? And, and literally Habakkuk was declaring that, God, you're just insensitive to what's going on. And then God came back to Habakkuk and said, oh, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something about it. But you're not going to like what I'm going to do. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and I'm going to bring them against Judah. I'm going to remove them from the land. I'm going to put them in captivity. And then Habakkuk responded and said, wait a minute. How can you do that? How can you use a people more wicked than we are? And remember, when we looked at that, we discovered that Habakkuk really, even though he saw the sin of Judah, he really didn't see it in the right light. And then in chapter 2, Habakkuk waited for God to answer his complaint. And oh, did God answer his complaint. And God revealed to Habakkuk, oh, listen, I'm going to deal with Judah and their sin. But I'm also going to deal with the Chaldeans or the Babylonians and their wickedness. And then we got to chapter 3. And when we got to chapter 3, we began to discover in chapter 3 that Habakkuk had now come to a place where he said, I've heard your report. And Habakkuk received what God had to say. So now, instead of Habakkuk complaining about what God said he was going to do, Habakkuk has now come to the place of not only accepting what God said he was going to do, but remember what he said. He said, let it be in my time. In other words, hurry up and do it. So to receive God's word is to not only accept it, but to desire for God to do it. And that's where Habakkuk is. Now, what we began to look at in chapter 3 is Habakkuk began to sing. And we're looking at that song in which Habakkuk sung. And by the way, which Israel would continue to sing for many years, even today, in many of their worship and many of their festivals. And so Habakkuk is beginning to sing. Now, what we've looked at already in this song is we've seen Habakkuk begin to sing about the works of God. And he goes back and he recounts the works of God. Well, today we're going to see where Habakkuk is going to sing not about God and his works, but about God himself mighty in his character. Because if Habakkuk was going to trust God in what God said he was going to do, Habakkuk was going to have to see past the circumstance and Habakkuk was going to have to see God for who he really is. Because I want to tell you again, 
If you look at your circumstances, you will be dismantled if you're going through a tough time. But if you'll seek God first in His mightiness, I promise you it'll help you to walk through your circumstance. And so that's what we're going to see uh, this morning. So if you would please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Verse number 8. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea? That thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation. Thy bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes. Even thy word, Selah, think on that. Thou didst cleave the earth with the rivers. The mountains saw thee. And they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went. And at the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people. Even for the salvation with thine anointed. Thou wouldest the head out of the house of the wicked. By discovering the foundation upon the neck, Selah. Thou didst strike through with the staves, the head of the villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as the devourer of the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea, thine horses through the heap of great waters. Verse 16. When I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble when he cometh upon up to the people he will invade them with his troops. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you'd speak to us through your word and through your truth. And Father, may you be glorified, may you be manifested in what you do and how you do it in Jesus' name. And all God's children said... God who is mighty. So in other words, Habakkuk here knowing that God's about to come and allow the, the Babylonians to take Judah out of their land, pilfer their land, take everything they own, bring them into captivity, and Habakkuk has now accepted that and Habakkuk is able to sing. How are we doing? Because that's really what's taking place. But what caused Habakkuk to be able to sing? Because as I said earlier, Habakkuk's already looked and remembered the works of God and now he begins to look and see the mightiness of God. How God has manifested himself in his character and in his nature. And when God manifests himself in character and nature, listen, it always leaves a footprint of God's nature and God's truth. And Habakkuk grabs hold of these things and he begins to sing them as a song of remembrance, yes, but as a song of encouragement, yes. Because I promise you when the Chaldeans really come and the Chaldeans really begin to take Judah into captivity and begin to pilfer their land, I promise you Habakkuk as well as the people of Israel are going to need to remember what Habakkuk is singing. And this begins what we find as we continue in this song in verse number 8. I want you to look first at Habakkuk's conclusion. You say, what do you mean his conclusion? 
Well, in verse 8, he changes his tenor a little bit, if you will. And he begins to sing about the mighty worker, not the mighty work, but the mighty worker who is God. And he does it in a third or second person sort of way. He uses this term thou or you. And he's singing about God. He's elevating or lifting up God in his song. I want to tell you something. The best songs are the songs that lift up him. Hey, we can sing about what God's done for us. Nothing wrong with that. We ought to praise him. But everything ought to go back to to him be the glory. And so here Habakkuk begins to exalt the Lord. What does he sing about in verses 8 through verses 15? Here's what he sings about. The might of God that controls nature. Notice what he says here in verse 8. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thy anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea? that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation. What is Habakkuk remembering him? He's remembering that God in his might has the power to eliminate. Eliminate what? Eliminate all bondage. How many of you agree today that God in Egypt struck the Nile River? How many of you agree that God in bringing Israel out of Egypt parted the Red Sea? As God parted the Red Sea, the Pharaoh and his taskmasters went in, and God destroyed every one of them. And now the bondage of Israel, who were in bondage to Egypt, has got, they've been set free. And now, now no longer looking over their shoulder, no longer having mental bondage, wondering if Pharaoh and his taskmasters would ever catch up to them again. And what God do? God eliminated that threat as well. Here's what, here's what Habakkuk is singing. He says, God, you are so mighty that even though the Chaldeans will come, even though the Chaldeans will pour out your chastisement upon Judah, and even though all that will take place, I accept it. Let it be in my day he said but at the same time he said I know there's coming a day when you'll eliminate the threat of Babylon and you'll bring Judah back out of captivity and you'll restore them back to their land he said God you're mighty to eliminate the bondage because I promise you when Israel was in bondage they needed to remember that now here's the thing how does that relate to you and me Well, if you're lost today, i got some good news for you. God's able to eliminate the bondage of your sin. God's able to give life to your death. God's able to resurrect in you His Spirit, His life. But i I got news for you, Christian. i got some good news for you. Even though God has set you free from the penalty of sin when God saved you, God is in the process of setting you free from the power of sin that still grips you from time to time. And when you come to the place of understanding that God is mighty in battle and God is your victory, and here's where you come to the reality that not only are you not working towards victory, you're working from victory. What do you struggle with? What do you find yourself confessing over and over and over again? Well, here's what I'm here to tell you. God who parted the Red Sea, God who struck the Nile, God who used nature as his tool to eliminate the bondage, that same God is the God who can help you and set you free. This passage, this verse takes us all the way back to Egyptian bondage 
and takes us all the way through to Israel getting the land of Canaan because whatever, what else did God do when it came to the waters? He took the river Jordan and he held it back at flood stage. And now Israel, who were set free from Egyptian bondage, set free from the taskmasters, could now enter in to God's provision. Why did God set you free from sin? That you could flounder away in this world, trying to hold on and hang on till you get to glory. Oh, boy, isn't that a miserable life? I want to tell you why God set you free. That you can walk in the victory that God gave you. In his provision. And so what do we find here? We find in the might of God that controls nature, we find that his power to eliminate. God used the waters as a tool at his disposal to eliminate Israel's bondage. Let me show you a second. His power to enter. Verse 9, bow was made quite naked according to the oaths of the tribes. Even thy word, Selah, thou didst cleave the earth with the rivers. What is this talking about? Well, how many agree today that God made a covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would give them a land in which they could inherit? And so that's the oath. That's the word that he's talking about here. The bow speaks of God's his might to be as a warrior to do whatever it takes to conquer the enemy that he could fulfill his covenant. And so here's, the, here's what the verse is saying. God is mighty in his power to bring Israel in, to enter them in to what God promised he would do. Do you understand today that you and I have an umbrella of many promises in which God's gave us in the Word? Now, a lot of these promises we love to quote. Some of them we don't like to quote. I mean, we love to quote that God will never leave me for forsake me. How many of y'all like that one? Say amen. He'll provide all my needs according to riches and glory. How many of you like that one? Say amen. In this world you shall have tribulation. How many of you quote that one? But can I tell you, it's just as much a promise as the other. But what's the rest of the verse say? But remember, I have over what? And so, you have all these promises that God has coveted with himself when he allowed you and me through salvation to enter in that covenant relationship with him. And here's the picture of what Habakkuk is Seen. Habakkuk is going back and saw the might of God, how God in his might and character worked in Israel in the past. And here's what Habakkuk's come to the conclusion of. Habakkuk's come to the conclusion of, God, you can use anything. You can use rivers. You can use seas. You can use people. You can use nations. You can use whatever to fulfill exactly what you said you would do. In other words, God, you're true to your word and you'll do exactly what you said you would do. Have you ever thought that everything that we're seeing going on in our world today is just God allowing things to happen to set up 
to where he could say to his son, son, go get your children. See, we look at these things that are going on in the world today. We're wringing our hands and we're going, oh no, what are we going to do? Hey, I got news for you. You ought to look up and say, glory! God's true to his word. If he needs to pull back the bow of judgment, he'll pull it back. If he needs to shoot the arrows of judgment, he'll shoot the arrows of judgment. But here's the reality. He made an oath with the tribes of Israel and he is going to keep it. And just because God's going to allow them to be jerked out of the land that he promised them, here's what Habakkuk understands. God will not leave them away from that land. When Israel rejected the Messiah, did God jerk them back out of the land? Scattered them abroad. But I'm here to tell you, God's intent was never for Israel to stay out of that land. That's the reason in 1947, Israel became a nation again. And Israel brought them back, just as he promised he would. So we see here the power to eliminate, the power to enter. Enter into the reality of what God has promised and the power to exalt. Look at verse 10. The mountains saw thee and they trembled. What does that mean? It's talking about Mount Sinai when God gave the law. In other words, when God gave the law, what did Mount Sinai do? It shook. Can I tell you the word tremble here? It's a word that means to wreathe. And you say, what in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. It means to toss and turn in pain like birth pains of a mother. In other words, when the presence of God fell upon Mount Sinai and when God gave the word, God gave the law, even the mount had to tremble with under it. When's the last time you became so conscious of the presence of God that it shook you. You see, God in his might exalts himself. Because what was the law about? The holiness of God. And under the holiness of God, even Mount Sinai began to shake in birth pain. And can I tell you, Romans chapter 8 says that creation even today has birth pains. But there's a second aspect to this power to exalt. God many times exalts himself through nature. Notice what it says, the overflowing of the water passed by, the deep uttered his voice, lifted up his hands, on high. You say, what is this referring to? This is referring to the battle in which Deborah was engaged in in Judges chapter 4 and, first, and chap, chapter 5. You say, what happened there? Well, remember what happened. The, the enemy had chariots, had horsemen. They were overcoming, if you will, Deborah and her army until God sent a great rain, flooding rain, and the flood began to take the chariots and made them useless to the enemy. And what happened? Deborah and her army won a great battle. And who got the credit? Who was exalted in the midst of what God did? 
Can I tell you there's coming a day that even the heathen will acknowledge Jesus is Lord. And this is God in his might. God in his might not only eliminates the bondage, has us enter into his covenant promises, but exalts himself through his mighty character and his control over nature. Well, it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light, thine arrows they went, and the shining of thy glittering spear. What's this talking about? Y'all remember in Joshua chapter 10? The battle in which Joshua was involved in? And what did God do? He held back the sun and the moon until Israel could win the battle. What did God do by controlling nature? He allowed Joshua and the children of Israel to escape the armies of the enemy. Now, are y'all starting to get the picture? I mean, here's, here's Habakkuk. Amen? Here's Habakkuk. He, he, is, he knows what God's going to do. He knows it's coming. He knows what the outcome of that's going to be. But yet at the same time, he equally knows that his God is a mighty God. And because his God is a mighty God, his God can use whatever is at his disposal to in his timing. Bring Judah back to the land that he allowed them to be taken out of to correct them. Do you believe that no matter what you're going through or no matter what you're battling with, do you believe God is mighty to be able to do whatever he needs to do in the midst of what you're going through? Can I tell you this with all the love I have in me? That's the only way you'll be able to sing when you're going through it. If you don't understand the might of God, you'll never be able to sing in your troubles. Paul and Silas were in prison. What did they do? Did Paul look at Silas and say, Silas, I don't know how we're going to get through this one. We may just give up. The end is around the corner. It's over. Is that what Paul and Silas did? What did they do? They praised the Lord and sung. What did God do? Shook the jail. See, this is the reason Habakkuk could sing. He understood the might of God that controls nature. 
But he also understood the might of God that conquers nations. Watch what he does here in verse 12. He said, Thou did march through the land with indignation. Thou did thresh the heathen in anger. What is he recounting here? He's recounting the times that when Israel was coming out of captivity in Egypt, going to Canaan, and as they entered into Canaan, he was remembering the times when God marched through the land with Israel, in front of Israel, and won the battle. In his wrath, he judged the enemy. In his wrath, he judged other nations. In his wrath, he gave Israel the victories that they needed for God to do what he said he would do. Can I tell you something? There's no battle that you'll ever face as a child of God that God is not more than able and willing to fight for you. Let me tell you when Israel lost the battles, when they tried to fight for themselves. Let me tell you when they won the battle. When they stepped out of the way and let God be God. When they let God dictate the terms. When they let God dictate the battle. When they let God dictate the house. That's when they won. How many agree they won a great victory in Jericho when they got to Canaan? How many agree the very next battle was Ai? And what did Israel do? Well, Joshua didn't ask God what to do. And because Joshua didn't ask God what to do, what happened? They didn't know that there was sin in the camp. If Joshua would have asked God, guess what? God would have exposed the sin in the camp before they ever went into battle. So Joshua said, hey, Ahi, it's such a small compared to Jericho. We've got this one. The Bible says many of his men were killed. And I'll never forget this passage. I'll never forget this passage. When I first saw this passage, it blew me away. Joshua went back to God and said, God, and will you let me loosely paraphrase for time's sake? He said, God, he said, don't you care for your name's sake? Why in the world did you let us lose? Here's what God said to Joshua. Get up off your face. In other words, if you'd asked me, this wouldn't happen. Don't put this on me. Are y'all hearing me say amen? amen? Let me tell you what your flesh will get defeat. Let me tell you what the Spirit will get you. Victory every time. This is what he's recounting in, in verse 12. Then in verse 13, at the beginning, he deals with not God's wrath in his mightiness, but his willingness. Look at verse 13. Thou wentest forth for salvation of thy people, even for the salvation with thy anointed. You say, what does that mean? In other words, in God's wrath, what's God going to do? In God's wrath, he's going to march through the land and win victory as he already has for Israel. He's going to do it again with the Babylonians. But here's the key. He's willing to save his people. Now that may not catch you, but it catches me. After the way Israel has acted towards God, after the way Israel's turned their back on God, after the way Israel has bent their knee to idols, how many of you agree today? God in his justice would have had every right to say, I'm not helping them anymore. But aren't you glad God in his mercy is always willing? How many of y'all are glad for the day God saved you that he was even willing to save you? 
I want to ask you a question. How many of you in here today, by raising your hand, would say that God gave you more than one opportunity for you to be saved? Do you understand God didn't have to give you but one? So how many of you would like to sing about his willing? So you see, he's the might of God that conquers nations. His wrath, his willingness, and his war. Verse 13, the rest of verse 13 through verse 15, simply chronicles that God is the victorious rider that rides through the land in great victory. And then we come to verse 16. And Habakkuk has sung his song. In verse 16, 17, 18, and 19 is, if you will, Habakkuk's testimony of where he was and where God got him. Where he was when God first spoke and where he is now. You say, well, why aren't you doing 16 tonight with verse 17 through 19? Because unless you wanted to be here two hours, I didn't think I could do it. So look at verse 16. He sung his song. And you have Habakkuk's confession. When I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at thy voice. When I heard what? When Habakkuk first heard what God was going to do. How many of you agree in chapter 1 when Habakkuk first heard what God was going to do? Habakkuk looked outwardly. How many agree Habakkuk's eyes were on the circumstances? What this was going to cause to Judah. And so we find in his confession... Habakkuk confesses, I had an outward look at first. I heard what you said, God, about how you were going to bring that that wretched, vile, wicked people to come against us at Judah. And I began to think and look. And I began to understand what that would entail. how in their brutality what it would cause. And he said, God, I confess. The thought of it made me tremble. The thought of it made my voice quiver. The thought of it literally made my belly begin to shake. Because God, I just had an outward look. I just looked at it from the standpoint of what you said you were going to do and what it was going to cause. You ever been overwhelmed with your circumstances? 
You ever had family problems, work problems, neighbor problems? If I keep going, I'll hit something, amen? In which you just got overwhelmed. What are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? Can I tell you why you and I get overwhelmed from time to time? Because all we do is look outwardly. We just look at the problem. Can I tell you a secret? If you keep your eyes on the problem, it'll make you sick. So Habakkuk gives an outward look. He confesses it. But then notice an inward look. Notice what it says in verse 16. And rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself what is he saying he said I looked outwardly and I saw the ramifications of what God said he was going to do the trouble it was going to cause the people I love the trouble that it would cause me as the prophet and I looked out and I saw the circumstance and I began to shake my lips began to quiver brokenness began to set in and then all of a sudden inwardly discontent despair discouragement Desperation. Can I tell you what it means here? When he says rottenness entered into my bones. Same word David used for himself in the Psalms. And here's what it means. It was like I was dying inside. When I just looked outward, I didn't like what I saw inward. Praise God the verse don't stop there. Because not only does Habakkuk confess his outward look and his inward look, praise God he confesses his upward look. Now watch it with me again. When I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself. that I might rest in the day of trouble. I looked outwardly. I couldn't handle it. I looked inwardly. I was in despair. I looked upwardly. And I could rest. As soon as Habakkuk turned his eyes to the Lord, all fear was gone. Was he still burdened for his people? Absolutely. But as we've already looked at, he's accepted what God said he was going to do. This word rest has this idea to patiently 
wait with great trust. God's already told Habakkuk what he's going to do. And now Habakkuk has looked up, saw the mightiness of God's work and the mightiness of God himself. And he sung. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. And he said, God, in the reality of who you are, this is where I was. Because I didn't know better, but just look outwardly. This is how it affected me. Inwardly discontent, despair, and depression. But when you revealed yourself and reminded me of who you were, I lifted my head. And when I lifted my head, I could say, Thou, O Lord. And I could patiently wait for you to do what you said you would do. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it hard... How many of you agree most of the time our circumstances come on, on us without us having any prior knowledge to them? Would you all agree with that statement? Say amen. Would you agree they're hard when you go through them? What if you knew it was coming but didn't know when it was coming? And you had to trust God knowing that it was going to come, but you didn't know when it was going to come. That's where Habakkuk But he said, God, when I saw you for who you are, he said, I could just wait patiently and still trust you. Let me give you two things in closing. The reason he could say that is because of the witness of God's manifested work. You remember this was a song that God gave Habakkuk and to the children of Israel to strengthen him in the time of his waiting so he would be reminded of who God is and what God has done and he wouldn't lose faith. If you're a child of God, can I ask you a question? Do you have hope? Is there any circumstance that could ever arise in your life, no matter how tragic, no matter how horrid, no matter how hard, that can remove the hope that you have in Christ Jesus as a child of God? Is there any circumstance, no matter how tragic, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter how troubling, if you're truly a child of God, can remove the hope that you have in Christ Jesus? No. So which are you focusing on more? The worry or the hope? Now notice this. Not only the witness of God's manifested work, the waiting of God's manifested work. I'm not very smart, folks. I'm just going to admit that. 
But would you please, just for a moment, allow yourself to use your spiritual imagination for a moment. Habakkuk would be singing this song probably on a regular occasion for his own strength. But yet every day he would look out into the countryside past the walls of Jerusalem. Wondering, is this the day that we get taken into captivity? Is this the day that everything we work for will be for naught? Is this the day that coming over the hillside will be a brutal army that God has allowed to take us into captivity. Is this the day? But even though he still looked out, waiting for God to do what he said he would do, He never stopped looking up. And can you imagine this may be the day? But God, I remember when you took nature and you used it in the might of your power to deliver us from Egyptian captivity, from deliver us from the bondage of the taskmasters. I remember when you took nature and you held back an overflowed river to allow us to enter in to the provision that you made for us of milk and honey, a land full of corn, a land full of victory, a land full of your provision. I remember when you held back the sun. I remember when you flooded the battlefield. I remember when you did all those things. And he said, can you imagine as he looked, waiting and waiting, is this the day? But yet always looking up, he could say, oh, but God, if it is the day, thank you. Because you're God. And anything we endure is just temporary. Because your covenant promise gives us a hope that we cannot and they cannot take from us. Here's your invitation. You may be here this morning And your lostness is eating you up. Can I tell you? God made a provision. In the might of his glorious power, he sent a son to take your place. And in the might of his glorious power, his son had to die in your place. 
but in the might of his glorious power, God resurrected him on the third day. And God is able to work in you a heart that would recognize that you can't do nothing to save yourself. And in your desperation, you cry out to him. You find out God is able and willing to save. But for every child of God in here, listen to me. I don't pretend to know what you're going through. Many of you are going through things. I have no idea what you're going through. But I've got a good word for you. We serve a mighty God. And he's willing. Not in your strength, not in your, your ingenuity, not in your way of thinking, but he is willing in his ways to help you, strengthen you, comfort you, be your wisdom, be your guide, illuminate your path that you can walk through. No, wrong word. You can run through whatever you're going through. You see, there's some folks in here this morning that need to look up because you've been looking out far too long. And isn't it high time to get a heavenly perspective of who God is? And can I tell you when you do, no matter how overwhelming your circumstances may seem, they're going to be awful small in comparison to who God is.